Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon the Lord while he is near. For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but they water the earth and make it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose for it. And my word shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. So says the Lord our God. Isaiah 55, let's pray. Speak, O Lord, and even right now teach me that I as an empty vessel may teach your people. Holy Spirit, sanctify and enable my mind and my mouth that I may deliver your word faithfully and fruitfully that it may accomplish that for which you send it in this moment. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You and yourself must quarrel if you and God are to be friends. So said J.C. Ryle, and it's one of my favorite lines from him, you and your sin must quarrel if you and God are to be friends. You and yourself must quarrel if you and God are to be friends. You and the way you habitually talk without thinking must quarrel if you and God are to be friends. You and the way you respond to things and the way you get angry and the way you grow resentful must quarrel if you and the Holy Spirit of God are to be friends. And when you start arguing with yourself and start asking God to work on you and change you, it feels like dying. But this is actually living. This is actually the consequence of regeneration and coming to life. It sometimes feels difficult and hard. It always feels difficult and hard, but it leads to a place of peace and beauty. I really loved both of those testimonies from the baptisms, and I was particularly struck by the fact that both of them said somewhere in toward the end of their testimony, hey, now that I'm in Jesus... I'm like fighting against my sin and stumbling against my sin more than ever. You and your sin must continue to quarrel if you and God are to be friends. We are not here this morning because the Lord God wants to open his word and say to us, oh, don't ever change, people. You're perfect just the way you are. We are here because we want to be changed. The epistle of James has 108 verses, 108 verses. And the epistle of James includes 54 imperative commands. Hard to find a spot in the Bible with, in the span of two or three or four pages with more commands about changing and quarreling with yourself. 
The key passage in the book of James, arguably, is 122. Be doers of the word and not merely hearers. The bottom line is that this book was written because in the church, we sometimes have a form of faith that isn't deeply operational in our habits and our living. James 1, the way we handle trials comes out of our own person rather than out of the reality of our faith. The way we handle money, the way we treat those who are different than us, the way we treat each other, our faith needs to be vitally and fully operational in our lives. If you were here last week, or if you were uh, not even here, if you were just tuning into the church service on the live stream, uh, you saw that last week we dealt with verse 18 of chapter one, which is like the highest um, rarefied air of theology and God's sovereign election in salvation. And we go right from that to in verse 19, the most common issues of everyday life, and frankly, in verse 19, the most frequent ways that we frustrate and annoy one another by the way we don't listen and the way we're quick to get angry and the way we talk too much and we say the wrong things. So our text today is verses 19 down through verse 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Today, I want to bring the, the whole plate of this little section uh, to the table just so that we can look at it and smell it and see it. And my plan, Lord willing, Maybe you don't eat this way, but next week, I want to take one thing on the plate, say the steak, and I just want to eat that. So next week, I want to talk about speaking, listening. The week after that, I want to talk about growing angry. The week after that, Lord willing, I want to talk about verse 21 and how to, how to put off and put on. But this week, I want to just see the whole thing in, 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 uh, in one glimpse, Verse 19 gives us three things to do, right? One quick and two slows. Question, how, how are these three related? Why does the one that comes first come first? Why does the second one come second? And why does the third one come third? And if you take the first one and you really are uh, quick to hear, then doesn't that already tilt the playing field in your favor so that you can do the second one and the third one even better? But if you blow past and refuse to do the first one, doesn't that tilt the playing field against you so that you'll have a, a, a much harder time doing the second one and the third one? I like how all three of them are together. But verse 19, at a glance, gives us three things to do. Verse 20 gives us one principle that backs up the last of those three things in verse 19. It gives us a principle about what anger does or does not produce what the anger of man does or does not produce. And then verse 21 begins with a therefore. 
Verse 19 said, know these things, know this. And then verse 21 says, therefore, since you know that principle in verse 20, and since you know those three commands in verse 19, then we actually have two more things to do in verse 21. Put away and put on. Or it says, release and then uh, receive. Or it says, uh, let go of certain things. And then it says, let something in. Let go of the wickedness and the filthiness and let in the implanted word. So we can actually say that there are five things to do. The first three are in verse 19 and the last two are in verse 21. So why do the two steps in verse 21 come after the first three? Is there something about doing those first three that helps us to do verses steps four and five? A lot of questions we can ask of this text. Don't miss how sweetly it begins in verse 19 when we are called beloved brothers. We are being told here, hey, you and yourself have to quarrel. The way you normally behave has got to change. So we're, we're getting some, some stiff medicine here, but we're called beloved, meaning we are loved by God. So it is the case that we didn't gather here today to hear God's word proclaim, you're, you're perfect just the way you are, don't change anything. But at the same time, we gathered to get together today because God's word proclaims that in Jesus Christ, we are loved. We are loved. Verses 13, 14, and 15 told us that every single person is tempted by their lust and their own desire. And then in verse 17, it says that the good gift comes from God and the greatest gift of all in verse 18 is that gift of being born again by the word of truth. And now in verse 19, it says, since we've been born again and we're beloved brothers, well, we're still gonna be tempted to sin with our ears and with our mouth and with our temper. So there's a way to walk according to our new nature. No longer walk like you're not born again, being, be, being slow to listen and quick to grow angry. Walk like you have been born again, being quick to listen and slow to grow angry. My beloved brothers, we're being told we have to seriously obey, but we're not told so in a harsh or scolding or kind of superioristic kind of manner. Verse 18 says we've been born again. And so verse 19 is sort of like what it means to grow up into the Christian life. In other words, a, an infantile Christian is slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to grow angry. But a growing and mature Christian is quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. We need this. Quick, slow, slow. The first one there, let every person, that means me, that means you, be quick to hear, swift to hear, eager to hear, attentive and on your toes to hear, ready to receive. If you link it all the way down there to verse 21, then it's about receiving the implanted word of God. It also applies in our interactions with each other, being really willing to listen to each other. 
quick to listen, and second, slow to speak. This comes second in the list, and it means maybe a restraint upon how quick you are when you're not really listening, but you just want to blast through all of the holes and errors and things you didn't like in what was just said that you were supposedly listening to, but you weren't really listening to. Slow to speak. Restraint upon hasty reactions and defensiveness. Don't make excuses and counter arguments. Really listen, and then be slow to speak. And then third, it says slow to anger. Slow to anger. In our interpersonal relationships, you know this uh, profoundly deep biblical principle that my mom taught me? You'll never be successful at bad attituding someone into a good attitude. If you are slow to listen and you are quick to just yell at other people, you may have a form of influence which is like fear or meanness, but you have no genuine human influence on those other people. You can't bad attitude someone into a good attitude. You cannot harshly, belittlingly insist that someone be more loving and considerate toward you. It's not the way human hearts work. And it's not the way the Holy Spirit here tells us to interact with each other. It's, it can't be done. Even as Christians, maybe even especially as Christians, when we debate and defend Christian principles, isn't it possible that we can debate and defend the right Christian principles in a non-Christian way? The answer to that question is yes, it's possible. You've seen me do it if you know me well. (laughs) And I've seen you do it if I know you well. It's a trap we all fall into. Wrathful reactions, just like these, these kind of snarky, hot takes that are just meant to make the other side look stupid. You can't bad attitude somebody into a sweeter, more Christ-like attitude. And I don't think you can ever successfully scream someone into the love of Jesus. It's not how human hearts work. Slow to anger comes third. It comes after the first two. Why? Well, because what you hear can make you angry. And the way that you express your anger is that you speak vociferously and violently. So hear properly, speak or refrain from speaking properly, and you might be growing slower to grow angry. Like I said, I just want to look at the the whole thing today and we'll really trace some of these themes through scripture because they're such important themes. But I wanted today to take this and uh, apply it to our current moment as a church and as a culture. With these commands, James is introducing the theme of the tongue, actually the theme of speech, comes up in all five chapters of the book of James. James is intent upon informing us about the purpose and potential of words for grave harm or for great help. And if we applied what James said about listening and speaking and slow to anger, how would it change the content of our communication and the spirit of our interactions with each other?
How dramatically would it change our presence on Facebook or the way that we text or even our board meetings and, and, and our, our marriages, our friendships, our youth ministry, all of it would change it so dramatically. And I'm not uh, applying this immediately in our church because uh, as churches go, you're the worst at these three things. I, I'll defend you guys <laughs> to the moon. I think you're one of the best but we got a ways to go. And our world is not making it any easier. It was almost easier. It was almost easier. I, maybe I shouldn't even say this. It was almost easier when like church was t- like totally shut down and we were all doing the same thing and just watching online. Now we're open but we ha- we're social distance church and so not everyone can come and there's still, and so we're sort of, you know, we're, we're, we're not really together yet, but we're not even all doing the same thing and it's just so easy for relationships to get wonky when we're like that. And we're gonna be like that for a while, it seems to me. So we have the spirit of God, the very presence of Jesus and these imperatives and the spirit of God to enable us to carry out these imperatives so that in a situation where everything's kind of difficult and tilted, this is just in church world, then put on top of that the upcoming election and the unrest in our country and everything going crazy everywhere. This is the greatest time to look at these verses together and to really understand them. Let us not be quick to yell at each other and quick to be angry at each other and slow to listen to each other. But this text specifically applies to the church, specifically applies to the church because relationships in the church are meant to be very different than the relationships outside the church. All of our relationships generally are because of some natural affinity. We like the same thing, we like this, we like that, and so we sort of cluster together in groups. Relationships in the church are the result of supernatural adoption into the same forever family. And so the unity that we show toward one another, the deference with which we treat one another, our quickness to listen to one another, and our slowness to grow angry with one another is of a supernatural level. Relationships in the church are not just the product of naturally feeling the same way about things. Relationships in the church are the result of receiving the same divine love. We've all been given, James chapter one, verse five, we have all been given divine wisdom because God who gives generously has given us the wisdom that leads to salvation. We all have verse 12. We all have verse 12. This goal to remain steadfast so that we will all together receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. We all have, verse 17, we have all been given every good gift and every perfect gift from above, from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. The same unchanging God who changes everything has changed us in the same way, verse 18, by causing us to be born again. 
And so our relationships in the church aren't from some kind of worldly understanding of unity or some kind of human or geographical uh, sameness of opinion. Our, our unity in the church is a result of our supernatural adoption. In one of uh, D.A. Carson's wonderful books about the nature of the church, he goes so far as to say, the church is not made up of natural friends. The church as Christ designs it is made up of natural enemies who are bound together by the blood of Jesus. In other words, it's not common education, common income levels, common race or ethnicity, common politics, common nationality that makes the church united. It is the blood of Jesus and adoption into his family. And I hope you can see with me that in, in, in this cultural moment, when a world around us is so fractured, the church is the place where the world should see something entirely different than what's happening out in the world. Out in the world, all we see is folks who are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to grow angry. Woe to the church if the world looks into the church and finds a bunch of people who are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to grow angry. The world should look into the church and see the inverse of what it's used to. This, this is the reality of the presence of Jesus. From top to bottom, up to down, we have a resurrected Savior. And so everything changes. The church is what it is because of Jesus Christ and the reality of who he is. This is such good news. How is our unity shown? Oh man, how many, how, how, how often do people talk about unity in the church? Like all the time. But my question is, how is our unity shown? If not, in the way we listen to each other, the way we speak to each other, and the way we react to each other with forbearance and long-suffering rather than anger. I, it, it's so simple that it shouldn't need emphasizing, but I admit it needs emphasizing because I would rather sort of just talk about the philosophy of unity than actually be patient with you the next time you annoy me, and you will. You're probably annoying me right now. I just can't figure out how. Like, but, but we, we, it's, I, I'm just... Frankly, you know, we should all have had it up to here with sort of this and this and that and that about the unity of the church. The unity of the church, which is the result of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the blood of Christ adopting us into the same family, the unity of the church is shown in the way we listen to each other, the way we speak to each other, and the way we have forbearing and gentle spirits to each other, or the unity of the church is just a word. Not a deed, not a, not a evidence. And we can love one another because Jesus has loved us. And when people look in on the church, that's the, that's the, uh, the end of verse 18, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The first fruits 
is the basket, the, the first of the crop that shows what's coming in the harvest. Jesus Christ, oh, they thought they got him. And Rome and the religious leaders, they thought they got him. They killed him, all right. He gave his life. But he rose from the grave. And the first fruits of the reality of that coming harvest where we will all be resurrected is that the, the, the love and the reality of Jesus in the lives of those who belong to him. And so the church is that basket of fruit that shows the world what kind of a garden God is growing. And God is growing a garden where the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. God is growing a garden where it sounds like people are really listening to each other. And it doesn't sound like people are really screaming at each other. And a garden where people are forbearing and gentle rather than quick to pull the trigger. That's the kind of garden God is growing. So verse 19 gives us three commands. Verse 21 gives us two more commands. But let us, let us not receive these commands as if the only thing God is saying this morning is if you and God are to be friends, then you have to quarrel with yourself and get your act together. You really do have to quarrel with yourself. You really should change your behavior and the way you listen and the way you speak and the rate at which you grow angry. You really should change those things. But God addresses us as beloved brothers. God addresses us as beloved brothers. And God says to us in verse 18, I have already given you life. I have already, verse 17, I have already shared my very nature with you. So there's no way you can read 17, 18, and 19 as if now to read this to say, in verse 19, God's saying, fix the way you talk and the way you grow angry. And if you fix the way you talk and the way you grow angry, then I'll adopt you into my family. Doesn't work that way. 19 comes after 18. It's not as if God's gonna accept you and pin a ribbon on you if you clean up your behavior. God accepts us because of the blood of Jesus. We're saved by grace. We're saved by Christ. And God's saying, because I've adopted you into my family, people in my family, oh, they're quick and eager to listen to each other. Oh, and kids in my family, they are slow to speak words that are harsh and biting. And they're gentle and forbearing rather than quick to grow angry. Verse 19 is the way that we walk bearing our family name. It's the way that we walk in the new nature that God has given us through the gift of eternal life. Church, I trust you agree with me. I don't, I don't know that there's ever been a time when a verse like James 1.19 is more needed and let there never be a place where it's not more warmly received and followed. And knowing you, I trust that'll be the case. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, as this is your word, the living seed, 
now that it has been sown through the preaching thereof. We trust that it will not return empty, but it will accomplish all that for which you send it. That the church, the very first fruits of Christ's resurrection, would show the wonderful reality of God's love in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.